In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 406 this week is our annual conversation with liz rosenthal and michelle rayak of venice immersive at the venice international film festival which is going on even as i record this intro Venice Immersive is the biggest collection of digital immersive works at any festival in the world, and we'll get into highlights from the lineup, how immersive is shaping up, and the challenges that the field faces in this in-depth conversation with the two programmers. What you'll find in the episode is actually not one, but two conversations melded into one as he recorded a bit before the two were in Venice and then the rest earlier this week as they made final preparations. Here's a fun game. Can you figure out the exact moment we transition from one to the other? If you can, let me know. Once you've done that, take a tour of this week's show notes where you'll find links to some of the pieces Liz and Michelle discuss, the latest edition of Everything Immersive This Week, which has more on Venice Immersive, and on the upcoming Not Scary Farm 50th anniversary run, this week's review rundown, and a special feature on Tokyo's Daisy Dose, a provocative immersive theater troupe that is challenging Japanese conceptions of how theater should be. All this is made possible by our Patreon backers, and this month we are doubling down on reaching our next big goal of 450 backers. We are currently... 26 away and no joke we're going to be hitting the digital pavement hard this month to drum up support because i need it oh man uh scary scary um i know a lot of you who listen are already going to patreon.com slash no proscenium to show your support i know a bunch of you have just like skip forward skip forward uh but look you've done that you've gained access to our uh backer discord where you can find other creators and fans we need those of you who do back the show already to help us spread the word by dropping a review on your podcatcher of choice uh and uh you know sharing articles like the review rundown everything immersive this week and the features we create on social media or hey if you can't afford right now or if you've pulled back this is this is a really easy way to help us out because if everyone who listened to the podcast on the regular just shared one article a week, our reach would expand exponentially. Just wham. You know, in the early days of doing the newsletter, I just asked everyone to tell one person about it. So if that's what it, if, if you're more comfortable like sharing an email and just say, hey, um, check this out. I think it's kind of cool. Sharing it with one person. Just wadang dang makes such a big difference. And then it's up to me. It's up to me to get those folks who are introduced to our stuff to be willing to help us keep the mission going. All right. So help us find more people to connect with this world of ours out there on the World Wide Web. We are always no proscenium, except on Instagram and on threads where we are no underscore proscenium. Hey. If you're on threads, if you're using threads on the regular, uh, reach out to us there at us because I have no sense if people are really there or not. Um, and I've kind of fallen off a bit, but I think maybe that's a mistake. So poke me there. All right. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette. Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Lecker LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. We're also always on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noprosidium.com for details, or if you'd like to sponsor the site and the podcast, you can reach out to me there as well. All right. 
with that very long opening section, let's get into this lovely pair of interviews smushed up into one. Once again, it is time for our annual check-in on Venice Immersive, which is coming up August 30th to September 9th as part of the Venice International Film Festival. This is where we talk with Liz Rosenthal and Michelle Rayak about the expansive lineup for this year's festival and their take on the state of immersive here in 2023. Liz, Michelle, always great to have you. It's a pleasure. Hi, Nora. It's always wonderful to speak with you. I just, I just wish one of these years I could actually materialize in Venice. Uh, we're always talking to you on the go or, or where you are right before you're headed out. Uh, where do we find you today, Michelle? Um, I'm in Kenya, in Africa, on, on an island called Lamu. And if you hear some call to prayer coming from a mosque nearby, it's, uh, it's coming from a mosque nearby, uh, nearby me. All right. Liz, where do we find you today? I'm in London. That's where um, I'm based. And I am going to Venice next Tuesday. So I'm excited to get over the water and onto the island. Onto another island. Not the same as Michelle's. Um, (laughs) You may hear a call to prayer as well from near me in London. (laughs) Islands and calls to prayer. It's uh, it's, it's our theme today. Um, The Venice immersive lineup is always... I think it's always like the most expansive. I mean, Venice is, is, you know, I don't, for everyone who doesn't know, hasn't listened before, uh, of course, the Venice International Film Festival is one of the biggest and most prestigious in the world. And uh, the Venice immersive lineup is one of the biggest and most prestigious in the world. Uh, this, this lovely marriage between uh, uh, VR and film uh, being there with the, with, in the festival. Um, how big is 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 this year's lineup? What's what's the scope of projects we're talking about this year? I think as uh, as um, every year we have we have different sections. Uh, one is our official competition in which we showcase twenty eight uh, world premieres or international premieres of works that come from all over the world um, and that are featured for the very first time. Um, we have a second section that we call um, Best Of, where Liz and I, we select uh, completely subjectively 10 works that have already been published or have premiered somewhere else and that we consider represent the very best of what has been done in the field of immersive arts in the past years since our last edition of uh, Venice Immersive. We then have a, a smaller section, which is called the Venice Biennale College Immersive, where we show works that have been developed during our uh, creative development workshop that we held, hold every year in Venice, uh, developing 12 immersive projects from all over the world, and um, out of which there is one each year that we select and that we fully finance. So this year in that section, we're showcasing six projects that come from different editions of the Venice Biennale College uh, Immersive. So that's the competition and the out of competition and the college. But there is a fourth section. Liz, uh, could you tell us about that one? Sure thing. So um, at Venice, we have um, been really interested in following what's happening in terms of social Um, VR and the metaverse and for the last three years we've been really featuring uh, projects that are on social VR platforms particularly VR chat Um, so we have our final section which is called the world's gallery which um, features uh, 24 worlds um, that are VR chat worlds uh, actually 23 worlds that are VR chat worlds and one world which is our first world um, on engage Um, So Michelle and I have a really uh, passionate and strong belief that some of the most interesting work that's happening in terms of creativity is happening um, on these platforms and particularly VR chat. And we're really excited about finding a new project this year, the uh, Fat Boy Slim project, which is our first project, which is not a VR chat project. So that's the final section is the World's Gallery. 
Oh, it's interesting. It's a Fat Boy Slim project because, like, Fat Boy Slim also has, uh, you know, with David Byrne, uh, has Here Lies Love on Broadway, which is bringing immersive musical action to Broadway. So, so Fat Boy Slim has a real, real interest in these these emerging forms. Um, something I I wouldn't have wouldn't have. I guess maybe I would have guessed, but like, I don't know. Sometimes the throwback era is uh, is fun. On the world's beat for a second here. Where where are you seeing that scene kind of develop? I want to I want to sort of get this sense of where the projects are coming from in the world, but uh, but but since we're talking about these user generated, um, you know, um, sandboxes that people are making, uh, where are you seeing that scene really percolate? Uh, how how are you seeing it develop? Because you've been bringing folks in, as you mentioned, for like the past few years. Absolutely, and we also have two uh, worlds that are in competition as well, that are two of the 28 that are VR chat projects. One from uh, the US, which is by one of the sort of star world builders on VR chat, who's Finns, um, and the project is called Complex 7. And the other one is from Canada by a world builder called M Prowler. But you know, it's a really funny thing in um, on VR chat particularly, because you don't really um, focus on the territory uh, where the world builders are, because the platform of VR chat is kind of almost um, boundaryless, and people are working together in communities, sometimes across, I guess, international borders, and they live almost in uh, work and create in um, on the platform, and they're consumers of the platform. Um, so it is, like you said, truly a community platform. So. I know, you know, in terms of um, the communities on VRChat and the creators' communities, they are all over. Um, VRChat was, um, you know, incredibly popular and still is in the Far East. So there are, um, there's a huge influence from Japan and Korea. So many people who spend time on VRChat, you know, we notice that a lot of the um, avatars and the style of avatars is in uh, Mango or anime um, avatars um, but also there are communities and a community that we featured um, a lot over the last years is um, in South Africa um, and on the African um, continent that's called the Metaverse Crew which is an amazing group of people who are um, um, makers and people who have actually joined the um, Metaverse Crew who are not just uh, VR chat natives but are makers who have attended uh Venice um, immersive um, during COVID years when we actually held the festival um, on our own world in VR chat um, and we had uh, makers who were making projects more in a sort of uh, similar model to independent filmmakers where there's a main creative director a producer and a studio and they're building money up from maybe soft funding and private funding and hardware and software companies um, but they um, learned about VR chat in this incredible uh, platform and space and community through the festival. And we're now seeing they're starting to create within the platform. So, um, for example, Kevin Mack, who's an acclaimed uh, digital artist from the US, and he was so enamored with the platform from doing, from spending time during our festival that happened during COVID, um, first in 2020 and then in 2021, that he started making. Um, projects in VR chat and he did his first world that we featured in competition last year, uh, Namuanki, um, which was a beautiful um, sort of spiritual, um, incredible, fantastical landscape. So that's an example. And also um, there's uh, the Japanese director um, who made a type man, um, which was a project uh, that was another VR chat world, a live performance piece. Um, who originally was in the Biennale College uh, and developed his first project, Feathers, which we showed back in, I think it was 2019. Um, I think, Michelle, was that right? It was in 2019, yes, when he was in the first uh, college VR. His name is Keisuke Ito, who's the Japanese maker of a piece that we will premiere this year called Zen, um, which is not a VR chat world as he did last year when he presented a live performance piece made in his own world that he created in VR chat called Type Man. Um, this year, it's uh, a, a very sophisticated uh, interactive installation that is based on the tea ceremony. 
And it's one, I think, uh, Liz, you would agree with me, when we when we saw it, we, we felt it's one of the most sophisticated, poetic and, and refined piece of uh, immersive art that we've ever seen. So we're very proud to uh, show it. So this is just another example to piggyback on what Liz was saying about Kevin Mack, of how um, the exposure to VR chat worlds and the world builders community through our world's gallery has really helped artists from different origins or artists who were working offline, um, not in social worlds in, uh, in, in VR, have started exploring this medium and that has opened up their, um, their options. I think beyond I think I think you were asking also Noah about you know different origins do we see a trend or if if we can sort of map where works are coming from it really changes from one year to the next like this year for instance um Korea and Japan are well represented but oddly the Netherlands are very prolific with five pieces that we're showing from there. A lot of works have been submitted from the US, which we didn't have as much last year. Um, by comparison with last year, we have much less works coming from Taiwan, which has been in the past few years a very prolific source for uh, immersive work. So it really changes from one year to the next. And we have a, we have a beautiful work from Palestine, um, in co-production with Qatar and Spain, uh, which is the first time we have uh, something coming from these countries. So it really shifts from one year to the next. I do not think it means that there are trends that are like permanent trends. I think it reflects the, the different activities. For some pieces, it takes years for a piece to be made. Mm -hmm. We're showing a, a piece called The Imaginary Friend that took six years in the making. So it, it really depends on the, the process. By comparison, a piece like The Imaginary Friend that took six years to be made um, compares with uh, some of the worlds that Finns makes in VR chat, and that will take him two months from beginning to end. And it's incredibly sophisticated. So it's very, very relative. Well, and it also feels like, you know, you've, you've brought up the, the year that you, because of COVID, you know, everything was happening virtually and this sort of ecosystem that's developed of creators in VR chat coming in, seeing what was possible. Now they've got pieces in competition or creators who were part of the college program who are now moving into other phases of, of the festival. I wonder if you could both speak to that role of this program as being uh, an incubator or or something that is that is you know creating the culture of vr creativity by by bringing everyone together this way sure so um in venice in a way the sections that we have for the festival sort of um mirror um how venice is involved in a really um huge way in the whole ecosystem of developing financing and exhibiting um, immersive projects. So as Michelle mentioned, there's the Biennale uh, College, which develops uh, projects as a creative program for developing projects, and we finance one of the projects. Then during the uh, festival, we have the Venice Production Bridge Gap Financing Market. So we select um, around uh, 14 to 15 projects each year from around the world, which are in a vast stage of development. And um, we uh, invite uh, guests, uh, so financiers, distributors, potential partners who uh, will get involved in the projects. And then, of course, there's Venice um, Immersive, um, which is for completed projects. And I think, you know, it's fair to say we're, that Venice is really involved. We, we like to think we're, we're trying to support and enable um, the ecosystem. And I think when you're working in such a new and evolving medium, it's really, um, you know, things are changing so fast in terms of technology, in terms of the hype around uh, different technologies. We've seen, you know, a huge sort of like negativity towards um, the metaverse and consequently uh, VR and um, a huge shift towards 
uh, it was Web3 and uh, crypto and the blockchain. And this year, it's all about AI. And I think in terms of our role, it's, it's really important that we, um, we are there to support and um, understand the long term of these creative forms um, when it's very difficult for these makers um, and producers to have longevity because things are shifting and there's so much change the whole time. So in a way, I think um, a festival like Venice plays a really big part in supporting the ecosystem and that's what we like to do. And another example of that is, for example, this year we're doing um, something that is you know, critical um, for a lot of these projects is distribution and the lack of distribution. Yeah. Um, so we're holding a closed uh, think tank with people who are um, licensing um, projects or uh, on, on all sides. So it's people who are distributing and who are exhibiting projects across the different uh, platforms, both in locations and online. Um, and for the people who are selling to those different exhibitors um, to have a sort of goals orientated discussion about what we can do as a group to try and uh, better the situation. That I love that you're doing that. And, you know, you touched on, you touched on sort of the way the, the, the media and the hype cycles worked where like one year it was metaverse and the next year, you know, it was crypto or roughly at the same time. And now it's AI and like the, the, the hot trends and the buzz when it comes to how is technology and culture interfacing is, is constantly in motion. And that's when you're looking at projects that have, two, three, four, five year long life cycles and, and, and development cycles, that kind of, of, of volatility in the hype cycle of, of where the attention of, of the, the tech press is, does not bode well for the creation of rich cultural artifacts. And, and I got to imagine for a lot of these creators, it either makes it very hard to for them to choose like where they should be putting their resources or maybe at the same time rewards those who are just eminently stubborn and have a have a vision of what it is they want to make and they just stick to that there's definitely there's definitely uh in the hype cycle those um those very contrasted moments like we said you know the 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 very uh inflated expectations that people may have and then those are easily disappointed um the we are right now in the phase which to me is the most interesting where the people who are in the process of exploring the medium of exploring the art form they're there for the the art form itself they're not they're not here for the hype they're not here for um, trying to make money certainly for any other reason than being just being um, being explorers and this is where we are now and I think this is the most fascinating phase and we see it with very exciting and new and innovative projects i love that you said there's most fascinating phase because like that that angle there crystallizes something i'm just starting to like kind of emotionally detect in the space and it's it's something that's true in both the digital and the physical immersive because on the physical immersive side there's a lot of big projects that have, you know, that are being shuttered, whether we're talking about Punch Drunk's Burnt City or or Disney shuttering the the Star Wars project that they that they invested a lot in or taking a huge tax write off on. Um and there's this this kind of shock to the system uh that 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 happens with the the sort of the the creative scene in the market being just like, oh no, like is this all falling out from underneath our feet? And yet you look at the larger arts and entertainment ecosystem and that's, that's happening across the board. Like the sky is falling absolutely everywhere, but the human impulse to, to make culture, like it's not something that's not the, a medium may come and go or a market may, may pop up and then disappear. But the, the d drive to make culture is inherent in us and as we watch year over year projects continue to be made it really does feel like oh no 
this stuff is not going away. People have found a tool they really want to use to express themselves. And that's the thing more than any get rich quick scheme that's going to kind of define whether or not this form endures. Sorry, I'm just, I'm on a rant this morning. The coffee kicked in. I apologize, Liz. <laughs> Please don't apologize. I'm late afternoon. Um, I still need a coffee and I don't have one in front of me. <laughs> what's, what's your, uh, what's your sense of, of where we are in, in the development cycle of, of digital immersive as a medium? Well, it's really interesting because it's so complex because we're talking about so many different formats when we talk about immersive creativity. Um, and I think in our program, that's what we're trying to express with the projects that we select. So we have projects that are, for example, 360 video, um, which have no interactivity, but are highly sophisticated. Um, so, for example, a project like Over the Rainbow by Craig Quintero, um, who we discovered last year, um, with his an amazing project, All That Remains um, is uh, something we have in our best of section. And then we have projects that are um, projects like Sen, which are haptic, um, multi-person experiences. Um, and then we have virtual world projects um, and project sets. Um, and previously we've had projects with live performers. Um, so we're talking about many different forms. Um, and for example, we're talking about out of headset experiences as well. So for example, we have two uh, projects that are an example of a trend um, that I think is huge around the world, which is large scale projection um, and means that you don't have headsets anymore. So when we're talking about um, immersive creativity, we're talking about so many different forms. And that's, I think, what's really complex, coming back to um, the way that these projects are grouped together and the way they're grouped together as a kind of medium, when in fact there are many different mediums. Yeah, it is, it is distinct from, say, I, I don't know, I, I, sometimes I think of it like the way visual art can encompass a lot of different mediums within there um painting sketch sculpture but they are very distinct mediums and 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 have deep methodologies within them and yet we flatten that out into visual art right like you know in terms of when when people are thinking about you know the broad categories of culture and that that seems to be the the fate for immersive as well, because working something pure VR versus mixed reality, the affordances are radically different, um, even if some of the principles are the same. Absolutely. And I think I was thinking in comparison to probably flat screen media, um, mm. and especially cinema um, and television, where there are very sort of clear routes um first to development we kind of know the language of flat screen media um and we know the sort of market and the distribution and the financing routes and the exhibition routes but for immersive media um you could have a project that is um that features live performers um that could be a hybrid uh real in real life virtual performance um, that has a very different uh, way to capture its audience um, to something that's a single-player uh, narrative game. Um, so this, I think, is uh, very difficult when it gets flattened um, for the makers, but is incredibly exciting for us as curators because we're looking across so many different mediums and we're seeing this incredible uh, creativity every year, which Michelle mentioned, um, you know, the, the makers we're seeing, um, I think, are mostly driven by passion, um, especially when it comes to these um, non-game uh, defined projects. Right now, the creators are, are driven by passion, and that's completely necessary. But is it sufficient to drive this field as a whole? Or should we not be concerning ourselves with questions like that? quite yet are we still actually really early on in vr and ar too early to be worrying about what the the engine of this is well i think one of the 
main issues when you're in a new field is the fact that you don't have an evolved ecosystem of support for um, artists and it's hard enough in other media and art forms to sustain as a, a creator um, and when you're working with evolving technology there's no um, established uh, you know, support structures or there's no really firm business models um, because immersive uh, art and entertainment is a different range of different formats is quite complex already because we're dealing with many different formats that have many different routes to audiences and distribution and different exhibition platforms and that is a real difficulty to people who are already having to experiment with new technologies um, experiment with new creative forms and then trying to find audiences and the support to do that is a real uh, difficulty. So you can have passion, of course, of an artist, and we see that so much in uh, what we're doing. The people that we're working with um, and the projects that we're showing at Venice come from um, people who are so driven by curiosity and in this new art form. Um, but it's really difficult to sustain with that. I think... I think the passion that you're referring to is absolutely essential because we've stepped out of the hype phase for VR and the metaverse. The attention of the media has shifted towards artificial intelligence and now spatial computing, and that's what's hot right now. And VR, immersive arts, and the metaverse is less. <clears throat> so what drives the... the the creativity and pushes the medium forward is the passion of the people who are really exploring this for the sake of it and not for the for the hype of it. So that's very, very positive. But at the same time, you're absolutely right in asking the question because if we want this to keep moving forward, we have to leave the research and development phase that we have been in mm. where everyone would would see what the medium really means, what resources it has and how it can be used uh, without looking at how it can be sustained, how it can tour, how it can be distributed. So we are definitely, Liz and I, seeing an evolution in that sense that more and more producers and creators are now taking into account the uh, feasibility of uh, distributing the work so that it can be seen by more people, it can be scaled, and it can be um, circulated, you know, internationally, for instance. So the example is, for instance, installations. When you have a stage uh, design, when you have props, when you have a full physical installation, we're seeing more and more producers and makers designing it right from the start so that it's foldable, it's transportable, it's quick to set up so that it can travel at a lower cost. We think that this more market-focused mentality is a very good thing for increasing the audience internationally for the work. When it comes to installation work uh, in the same breath, do, do you think it is an advantage for for a piece to have an installation that is easily transportable so that it sort of stands out from what people are able to do at home. Or if they, you know, all those years where people just like, we've got it, we've got an Oculus. Don't you want to put an Oculus on? Or, or, or is that, is it, you know, a value add to use that the market term or, or is that something that doesn't necessarily have to be there or, or doesn't add all that much in terms of the lure? I would say that an installation definitely adds value to the experience when it is um, cleverly made by this, when it's more than just a decoration for the onboarding and offboarding phase, mm -hmm. when it adds a, a dimension of immersivity uh, to, to the experience, then I think it does make full full sense. And you are right in distinguishing between at-home entertainment and location-based entertainment, out-of-home entertainment. Installations are designed for out-of-home entertainment, and they are worth it, and they add value when the whole design 
approach and onboarding experience prepares you for the actual immersive experience in the headset and adds another dimension to the transition, let's say, between the real world and the, the, the immersive world. And there are a number of experiences that have been designed around that principle today that could not be experienced at home and truly make uh, experiences worth of traveling to, you know, to the space where it's going to be shown. And I think there's all kinds of shapes and sizes. There are people who are doing it in a more modest way. Um, and I'm not saying modest, that it's smaller. It's just they're doing it in a very practical way. For example, we have a project um, that's by a French team um, called Small, um, which is around Gaudi. And it's a setup that's for six people that they can put up in around 20 minutes to half an hour. Um, which is quite incredible, which means, uh, you know, they can tour uh, really, really easily. And it's truly plug and play. Yeah, it's yeah. plug and play. And then there are experiences, for example, like uh, Atene and Notre Dame. We shared the single player experience, um, which um, is being shown in uh, Paris um, under Notre Dame, which sees, you know, hundreds of people every day can move through this experience um, that has a sort of huge operation behind it and a massive space. Um, but it's been both those experiences have been very practically thought out um, to scale within what they need to do and what their audiences and what venues can be. So those are, um, you know, multiplayer experiences. And then there are huge exhibitions like um, Felix and Paul's The Infinite. Um, yeah. You know, hybrid exhibitions which involve immersive works which they make that have, uh, you know, a huge exhibition, which is a physical exhibition of that's multimedia. So we're seeing um, all kinds of hybrid, uh, immersive uh, exhibitions and some things that are just immersive. So people are very inventive about what that means. Mm. We're, we're Just to note on the fact that we're holding a uh, think tank on uh, immediate solutions that we could think of for distribution of immersive content. And one of the topics and, and trails of thoughts for this symposium is exactly that. How can we make sure that more and more makers, creators, and, and producers include the thinking of how to optimize distribution right from the start of the uh, development process of the creative content? We have seen that examples of those um, teams who do include that thinking, thinking within the creative process uh, it really pays off because they multiply the their audience um, when they're ready to uh, to tour it. Yeah, and there's there's a financial dimension to that, but even more importantly, you know, no one makes cultural productions in order to just have five friends come over and experience it, right? Like we we make things because we want to be heard, and 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 thinking about how something's going to be heard and. What's funny to me, funny in the ironic sense, is every single field, including this one, is facing this right now. And this field, because it's just starting, doesn't even have a model to turn to that's broken you know, in the past. We, it's not like films where it's like, well, all that stuff we used to do is broken, uh, so maybe I got to find something new. This is a bit of a blank slate, and and even though there are a few models and a few things out there there's you know app marketplaces well bear, it's not working the way it used to yeah but bear in mind that part of the way we are thinking the the process of development production and distribution of immersive content is actually quite uh directly copied from the film model mm -hmm. and this is one of the reasons why liz and i were so excited by the world building communities, you know, on the social uh, VR platforms, because they are proposing a completely different model where they build their worlds, the makers build their worlds very quickly on the platforms where already millions of people are. So it's like building their homes in the middle of a crowd. So when they open their doors, you know, to show their stuff, the people are all around already, so you just need to open the doors and people come in. It's really that feeling, and we believe that it is a very interesting model for um, for expanding 
the the audiences for uh, immersive content, but also when those platforms will have a ticketing system in place uh, built into the platform, which is not the case yet. VRChat, which is the most open platform for this, doesn't have a, a ticketing system. I don't know if they will ever have it because if they do, it will be a huge shift, you know, in their ethos uh, and in, in the way they, they see themselves. But uh, I think more and more, we're going to see more and more social platforms that will allow this. And they'll be creating all kinds of creator economy models. Yes. And that's what they are working on at the moment. And we're going to see more and more things like that. And I know people have talked about the blockchain and crypto, but we will come back to that where there'll be really inventive ways that people, you know, these user generated yeah. models that are going to work. Yeah. And that's a fascinating time that we're in when you were talking about the passion, you know, that creators have. It is what pervades the whole community right now is that all of us, you know, from, from the angle that we're approaching this, we are exploring and inventing as we go new models. And we're really starting from scratch with the passion that allows the whole thing to happen and grow motivated by the essence of what an art form is, which is the creative fascination that we all have to explore brand new fields where no one has been before, where no rules are set, no Bible exists. And we just have to invent everything, you know, on a daily basis and learn from our trials and errors. And it's, it's such a privileged moment, you know, to, to be experiencing this. You two get to see a lot, I imagine, a lot, a lot of what's out there in the VR field, maybe maybe more than anyone else, really. What do you wish you were seeing more of? Not necessarily what you have or haven't programmed, but either formats or if not even formats, just like, you know, certain qualities in, in the work, you know, not quality, but, you know, qualities from the overall creative pool that, that you think people could double down on, that maybe they're not taking up uh, you're pointing at each other i love it <laughs> i i would say my first answer to this is that we are already amazed by the wealth and diversity of what we see i mean mm -hmm. year after year the number of experiences that we get to watch for our selection and the, the, the incredible diversity and creativity that we see at work uh, from all these people who are making work is mind-blowing, truly. So I, I do not feel like we are missing anything. Do you, Liz? I, I, mean, it, it's, I feel like, I mean, this year in particular, we were looking, we've looked at hundreds of, of works, you know, for our selection, and we've only selected 28 for our competition. I, I've been blown away by, yeah. by what we've seen, and really. What I'm really impressed by um, is especially the quality of the writing and the narrative projects, because that was something I felt was lacking more, that kind of the writing quality and the acting quality. And this year we have some really, really strong projects um, that are using the medium, not just to sort of like a live action shoot uh, fiction, but are really using the medium in an inventive way. So when you think of projects like Gargoyle Doyle, which is a comedy, it's so amazingly written, but the form is so but clever. And, and, you know, Imaginary Friend, which was a long while and, you know, incredible development process. But even with yeah. a very, very popular IP like Wallace and Gromit, yeah. for instance, I was, I was really incredibly impressed on how the team were able to bring the whole um you know the whole atmosphere of Wallace and, and Gromit the whole and it's a quality to, into into yeah. immersive and yet respect it and make it grow in another in another dimension can I say I mean I I would say I mean the one thing that I would like to see is not so much about the content but about how the people who have bought a headset um, use it. We know from research that a lot of people will buy a headset because they want to play Beat Saber or they've, there's a game they've seen with a friend and they want to play it. And they will play that for a few times and then they don't use it anymore. 
and then the headset will just stay on the shelf and and just not be used. Um, I'm waiting for the time when we're going to have the equivalent of Beat Saber, which is a hugely successful game on the on the on the Quest. Um, the equivalent in narrative games or fiction that will be so compelling that people will start wanting to use their headset, you know, on a regular basis. Or some kind of experience that they want to do on a daily basis. Yes, um, something that... And Yeah, so I would come back to actually to our world, to our world building. Now, I, and it's not that we're lacking in amazing content because we have this out of competition section, um, the Worlds Gallery, where we choose worlds that have already launched on the platform. And we have two worlds in competition, one by Finns, who's a superstar world building and beer chat, and another by Enprowler, who's another fantastic world builder. But a lot of the world building community would never think of coming to, a to festival. us to yeah. launch their worlds. And we got some amazing yeah. worlds. But I wish they were, you know, I'd love it if they... They used us. They used us, exactly. Yeah. Um, they would use us to launch their projects. Yeah. That's what I wish. And in a way, yeah. we got those two projects totally by chance because we were actually, when we were doing selection, and we work with um, our producer, Michael Salmon, does a long list for us. He spends a lot of time in VR chat and projects. We were looking at the worlds they had done the long list stop to select. And those world builders happened to come and say hello to us when we were doing it and showed us their worlds. But um, people don't actively come out of the world building community because it's very new for them, the idea of the Venice Film Festival. It's not something they are in connection with or have, it's not in their sight at mm, all. Mm. So I kind of wish there was more of that. And I also wish um, more of the community we see in festivals and the kind of directors we're seeing spent more time working in on this platform or mm. hanging out with those um, makers. And we have seen it happen. I think we might have mentioned it earlier um, about Kevin Mack, for example, who you know is a very acclaimed uh, digital artist based in the States who made a project, um, and was it Alan, was it Alan Bella, that he showed in 2021. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then he was so blown away by, because we held the festival of VR chat, that he then created this amazing world, Muranki that he showed last year and then the uh again it was a um Kazuke who Kazuke uh, Ito yeah, yeah. who uh yeah. Super last year again who was blown away but we wish more people would start working I think in yeah this space so the crossover between the you know the different ways that people are working would be interesting well and, and also you know it, it makes sense that the, the festival moments become moments to pop moments to release things moments to get some buzz around and and to kind of crack out of you know a, a particular creative community or or a particular you know subsphere because it, it feels like as we're watching social media atomize as people are you know there's no there's no main street there's no high street anymore online Google's power is 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 waning, and so it's going to come down to specific cultural moments and 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 festivals to be the place where people look to, you know, what's happening, and 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 hopefully we'll see more people gathering around them in order to 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 sort of make names for themselves or to to reach a bigger audience, and we'll find the audience is going there because they're they they can't just get it programmatically through Facebook or Twitter, or if they're looking on, on Google, they're just, they're just getting nothing but garbage at this point and then, you know, can't find anything anymore. So they, they'll turn to what humans have always done, gatherings where we get together and show off our work. One last thing, because I, I know you've got to you got to rest, you got to get ready. You're in the middle of it all. Uh, we're, we're playing we're playing the, the the makeup version of this. Um, for someone who is looking at all of this, who's hearing like, oh yeah, I want to come, I want to I want to I want to debut my world at Venice. I want to I want to get my work in, or like, oh, I think I've got something to cross over. Um, it, what advice would you give for someone who's who's looking to make an impression uh, and 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 get their work? in the festival. Wow. This is <laughs> just the tricky part. Just the, what's the secret? <laughs> what I think what we find, but that's not a, that's not something that is specific to immersive arts. I think it's mm -hmm. 
specific to artists in general, is that what makes a truly powerful work of art is something that is profoundly personal in which the, 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 the personal experience of the maker, the subjectivity of the maker is transcended into a work of art that speaks to all and that all can relate to. That alchemy of using a personal layer of one's life and transcend it, work on it, and make it, give it a universal relevance without taking away any of the special chords that it may trigger into anyone is the mystery of art. And it works exactly in the same way in, in VR. So we have seen quite a lot of works that are, that are trying to be formulaic because they think it's a particular style of animation or the use of a particular software has worked for a piece and then they're using it again. It's not the technology. It's not the technological innovation that is going to make the piece great. It's going to be the emotional load or the intellectual relevance of the work that will speak to us and that will speak to the audience. Technology in a field like VR, like VR, AR, MR, all of the immersive technologies, technology is essential because it's a highly technological art. But the challenge for the artist is to transcend and sublimate this <clears throat> technological innovation and make it totally transparent to the user so that what comes across is the emotional resonance of the piece. And when that happens, it happens, it can happen in very, very simple 360 videos, for instance, documentaries, very simple situations where the maker will have placed his or her camera, you know, in the right place, <clears throat> making us partake into a, a very um, real, uh, you know, filming of a, a given situation. It can also happen with artificial intelligence being used to sort of tailor make an experience for each user differently. But the core is the intention and that that alchemy that happens and there is no recipe for it. I don't think anyone has cracked the secret of what makes a great work of art great. There's an emotional resonance. There's a timely resonance with the time in which it's done um, that transcends everything. And it's true for, for, for immersive arts as well as for any other art. Would you, would you agree, Liz? No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> oh, my headphones fell off. Uh, that was glorious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, but it's true. It's a lot of part of our. When we, when Liz and I, we we gather every year in June, you know, for three weeks in Venice, and we spend eight to nine hours a day for three weeks, every single day, in headsets watching works, and then we we spend our time, you know, discussing those works and and seeing, saying, you know, why this works and why this works less, and a lot of our discussions turns around, you know, th this very issue, you know. What is this about? How relevant is it to us and to our time? What and very seldom do we discuss the technology for technology's sake. Yeah, I love it. Some some real back of the box stuff there uh, uh, that that uh, that I'll that I'll find ways to excerpt uh, in in some things I'm going to be doing going forward. Liz, Michelle, thank you both so much. We we we. Through two recording sessions and every technological problem there could be, we got this through. And you know what? Sitting at the end of it, it was worth it. This was really lovely. And I, I, I love what you both had to say. And I'm looking forward to seeing the bounty that's coming out of Venice this year. Thank you, Noah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I hope you will get to join us in person soon.
Yes. Yes. One one of these years, it it will it will definitely happen. I think we see that every year, but but um, I will find a way. Twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five is a goal. I might not be able to make it next year, but you know what? I I got a feeling I can get twenty five. Yeah. It'll be it'll be my my little my little uh fiftieth birthday present to myself. Oh yes. Yeah. Great occasion. Yeah, and especially in twenty twenty five, it's half of the fifty. So there you go. Oh, there you go. All right. Very good. All right. I will see you then and I'll talk to you before then. Thanks so much. Bye, Noah. Once again, I want to thank Michelle and Liz for being our guests on the show. Check the show notes for links into the whole lineup and into a few of the pieces that got shouted out by name over the course of the interview. Uh, did you did you did you notice? Did you notice the, where the transition is? Can you tell? Hit me up. Let me know. Uh, drop me a line on the Discord. Uh, if you think you know where and when it happens, I think it's obvious. But then and I edited the show, so uh, <laughs> of course I think it's obvious. Um, I am so jealous of folks like Kent By and Rachel Walker who are at Venice right now. Uh, Kent has uh, has his initial thoughts about you know everything. Kent did the speed run has, has absorbed all of the of the material in there uh that's up on his patreon uh you can find a link to that in everything immersive this week uh you can find a lot of other fun stuff in everything immersive this week uh it's a it's a it's a good one uh it's it's definitely a good one and uh i don't want to spoil what's in it but you should go check that out again in the show notes one version that's at linkedin which uh we're, we're really hoping to juice up and the other there on the everything immersive website itself um that's it for me for now. I, <laughs> I, I have to finish the syllabus for the class that I'm teaching at CalArts, uh, which is, uh, that's an intimidating process, uh, both, uh, psychologically. And then also just in terms of the, the sheer amount of detail you got to go into, uh, which then in and of itself is, uh, is intimidating. Cause then you're like, all, oh, who's going to read this? And then you, 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 you kind of you kind of don't want to know who's gonna read the whole thing because I I'm not the kind of person who reads a syllabus for a class. I'm like, cool, this sounds good. Let's go, pew pew pew. Um, but there's gonna be a student who does, and uh, it's probably the student who like goes and like listens to back episodes. So hi, if it's you, I'm talking to you now. How did I know you were going to be here? Because I knew you were going to be here. I nearly said someone's name just to. Would have been a shot in the dark. Uh, I should have done it. I chickened out. Anyway, um, that's that's what's on my mind right now. Uh, I got to do all that this weekend, and there's other like admin stuff for things. Just admin. Admin never ends. I just I just want to play video games uh, and read comic books and go to cool things. And there's so much cool stuff happening. Oh my goodness. Um, there's a lot of fun sounding shows that are lined up. I'm also really excited about Not Scary Farm this year. Uh, I'm go. I'm getting to go once again. Our friend who who gets us in uh, on Media Day is set that up. So, uh, just going to be a really really fun, wild back end of the month. Uh, I'm just going to be a stress ball for like the next week or so while I get the syllabus together and while I I navigate. You know. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to stop talking. I hope uh, all of you, nothing, no, no, nothing too weird. Nothing too weird. Just, it's just money stuff. It's just money stuff. Um, I'm going to stop talking though. I'm going to let you all go have the rest of your Labor Day weekend. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk with these two this year. Uh, The the technical problems we had, which caused us to break the interview up, I think were actually... uh, a blessing in disguise uh, because at a certain point they wound up in the same room and like I had I had more time I had like re-listened to the interview already and got to like think deeper about what was going on and and where I wanted to take things and uh, I think it's a very very rich uh, conversation that we got to have 
All right, you already listened to it. Why am I selling you on it? Let's do the end of the show. The associate producer of the podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. And everything wrong with this is my fault. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. Or in class. I will see you in class. Bye.